Hello, this is Gidon Rothstein, and this is Chapter 1 of the Book of Proverbs of Sefer Mishlei, and a few words of introduction are necessary and in order. Mishlei is a very different book than many of the others that we have seen, in that it makes clear from its beginning that its form of expression is one that tells you that the plain meaning is not where you can stop in your attempts to understand the book. What that means is that um, while other books talk in metaphors and symbolisms, so certainly all of you who have been listening to Tehillim will have seen a lot of discussion of metaphor and symbolism and, and using of imagery in terms of making a point, in the case of Mishlei, that tendency is even more uh, significant, even more prominent, so much so that uh, many of the commentators assume that the uh, original meaning, while it might be intelligible, it cannot be where you stop on anything that Mishlei writes. So uh, we'll talk about that today as to why it would be that Shlomo HaMelech would either choose or feel the need to write a book like that. But that is the first step to understand about the book. And therefore... And we'll show this already in chapter 1. And therefore, it's impossible to approach the book and just say, well, what does it mean? There is almost no such thing as, what does it mean? There is, what do various commentators say that it means? Or, what are the interpretations that have been given by various commentators? And I say this because there are inherently code words to Mishlei. One of the simplest ones is, so if you look at the... JPS translation, which I obviously will only be using because it's convenient to find the English for various words if I don't know the English myself easily in offhand. But when they say wisdom text, they say the wisdom text in the Bible are Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes, which need to be read within the framework of an international Near Eastern wisdom tradition. So that's a set of assumptions, first of all, that I disagree with, but more so shows you that inherently when you come to a book like Mishlei, you're going to have to make decisions about how you're going to become to interpret it. Theoretically, in a book like uh, the Torah, or in Melachim, or in Yechezkel, let's say books that we've seen together, the words are the words, and you interpret those words, you understand those words, and then every so often you have an image, you have a this, you have a that, you have to think and figure out how those images work. But Mishlei, that process, or that need to come across uh, code words and decipher them will come up all the time and will be essential to the project because the project of Mishlei is to teach Chochmah, is to teach, again, I'm going to use the word wisdom, but wisdom in the sense of a word that in English we don't really know what it means. What constitutes wisdom? Some people will say, if you don't know philosophy, you don't know wisdom. If you don't know biology, you don't know wisdom. That whole question of what is wisdom will be, is, is essential to the study of Mishnah, and therefore, and this is where I was trying to try to get to in this introduction, and therefore, instead of pretending that I can give you my interpretation of Mishnah, what I intend to do throughout the book is to rotate through four or five regular commentators, and on each one will have their own set of assumptions, their own focuses, they won't completely disagree, but their own focus and what they promote as vital and important to the project of learning the wisdom that Shlomo HaMelech was trying to get across to us. And so in studying their perspective, so if Perak Aleph will do Rashi, as we will, and Perak Bet will do Rabbeinu Yonah, so Rashi lives in the 11th century in France and Germany, in a culture that is primarily Talmudic focused and is not really uh, concerned with outside knowledge and wisdom in the ways that many others are. Rabbeinu Yonah lives in Christian Spain in the 1200s, 
This is already a society which is very much aware of the outside world. It's much aware, certainly, of the Rambam and his approaches to philosophy, and has, Rabbi Yon at least, has a cautious engagement with that. He accepts some pieces of it and rejects others vigorously, and we'll see some of that. Then we'll go to the Ralbalg, who lived in the south of France, and which much more philosophically committed was himself a philosopher, was also a well-regarded and well-known uh, biblical commentator. And the fourth one will be the Vilna Gaon, who lives in the 1700s, and he's already highly infused with uh, Kabbalistic mystical views, but also in, very much entrenched in a Torah Talmudic kind of a culture. So, and then occasionally I may use the Malbim, who is uh, later than the Vilna Gaon, but relies on the Vilna Gaon to a great extent. I may use that because there are occasions when Rashi is so minimalist in his presentations that it might be worth our while to supplement that. But our basic goal, our basic idea is that we are seeking and searching a a, a potpourri, a, uh, a range of approaches and interpretations of the Book of Mishlei, so that among them we can get a sense of some of the major ideas of what wisdom is that have been proposed by our great thinkers of the past. There are certainly many, many others. I don't pretend to be comprehensive. My idea is that by taking this range, we can get a sense of what's out there and build from there in terms of our understanding of the safer. So in Perak Aleph, we'll start with Rashi, although I will uh, point out right away that the first few prakim, first few psukim are an introduction to the Sefer by the by Mishle himself, by Shlomo Melech himself, where he sets out the project of the book. So one could productively look at those other uh, commentators here in particular, even if you're not going to use all the commentaries, but to take the first six psukim and get a sense of where they would go with it, that would be a productive endeavor that we won't do here and now because we don't have the time for it, but is uh, a place of focus to think about. And I'll show you how you would want to think about that. So, the Proverbs. So the word proverb in English means a, a wise saying, but in Hebrew, or in at least this Tanakh Hebrew, it's te- generally taken to mean, so Rashi says, it's called Varav Dugmot Umishalim. Mashal HaTorah Bi'isha Tova Mashal HaAvdeh Gilulim Bi'isha Zunah That Rashi says that Mashal means that you're using examples, metaphors, analogies, uh, symbolisms, images. The whole book is like that. And he gives you the main examples or a central example. We will many times see in the book of Mishle and the book of Proverbs references to women of ill repute and good women. And so if somebody wanted to read the book simply would say, oh, it's all about sexuality and appropriate sexuality. Rashi doesn't deny that that's an important focus, and others don't deny it either. That's the whole point that in Mishle, the plain sense is supposed to have a sense, at least according to many commentators. But Rashi says, but that's not the real focus. The real focus is that it used the metaphor of a good woman for Torah, somebody you'd want to marry and stick with and be with and stay with, and of the bad woman, a woman you should be not spending your time with, you should be avoiding the company of, that would be idol worship. So that whole idea of idol worship is, is an example of what some people have suggested is a major focus for Rashi, at least since he lives in a Christian society, the idea of helping Jews understand that they needed to avoid engagement with and interaction with and being lured by um, idol worshippers, meaning in his time, for Rashi, the Christians he knew were idol worshippers, because at that time it was certainly assumed that Christianity was a form of idol worship. I'm not commenting on the halakhic uh, view of it today, but that was the view at the time. It is interesting in that light, seeing that in Rashi, which was not so well known 50, 60 years ago, that was so much a focus of Rashi's commentary, it is worth noticing that in his book Exclusiveness and Tolerance, uh, Jacob Katz, Allah Shalom, tracked how the Baal Sofot 
had to sort of find ways within halacha to allow greater interaction with non-Jews because the economic pressures of living in that society and avoiding them the way the Gemara would have said to avoid them if we categorize them as full of the Avodah Zarah um, was extremely difficult. My own teacher, one of my own teachers, Rabbi Dr. Chaim Soloveitchik, um, also spent a great deal of time on things like Yainesach, on their wine and on their pawnbroking and how the pressure of economic issues sort of pushed the bounds of halacha. I don't mean that they, I don't mean that they, they just made it up. They found within the sources rooms and areas that would be matir, greater interactions. So at least in Rashi's generation, the sense was, was that, um, of them, perhaps because they found themselves pushing ever closer to, Rashi was, I think, in pawnbroking was one of those who came up with a new heter, a new important heter, to allow greater financial interactions between Jews and non-Jews. So part of that, though, was the other flip side was that Rashi sees the Ovdei Gilulim, the Christians, as an Isha Zara against whom Mishle would be warning us to be uh, to be careful. So Barashi is pointing out from that very first word in the book, the book is going to be a book that's going to say things and to fully understand them, you're going to have to find out the underlying meaning. That means it's like a code and the definition of how you interpret the code will be important. So in the next passage, to know, the English I have is wisdom and discipline, to understand words of discernment. So all those are words, we think we know what they mean, but they're very general words and there are a lot of things that can fit in there. What constitutes Chochmah? So for Rashi, the Dat Chochmah Umusar, Rashi says, to tell everybody that they should work at Torah. Because Torah teaches you Chochmah and Musar So for Rashi, much of this is just within the realm of Torah. If you just study Torah, by which he probably meant, by and large, Chomesh, Nach, uh, Mishnah, Gemara, the things that he commented on in his life, these were the central of building a life of discipline with the discipline of Torah. Others might see other knowledges as including in that. We'll see that in other chapters of the book. But that's where Rashi is going. Lakachat Musar Haskel. So Musar Haskel now, is that the same as the Musar of the previous Pasuk? Lakachat Musar Haskel. So uh, the JPS has for acquiring the discipline for success, right? It's a new level of Musar. Tzedek Umishpat Umesharim. Tzedek Umishpat Umesharim are going to be three areas of endeavor that the book is going to teach you how to do. So for Rashi, at least, Tzedek is, Tzedek is staka charity, in the simple sense of giving money to other people. Mishpat is to, to do true justice, to know how to judge things properly. And then Mesharim is to come to compromises, which the Gemara, at least, is, prefers to, uh, by and large, prefers to putting things through to their fullest conclusions, fullest legal conclusions. So that's for Rashi Tzedek, giving staka, knowing how to judge if you need to judge, but also knowing how to achieve a proper and good compromise for everybody. Another aspect of Mishli that we'll have to watch as we learn the Sefer together is the great presence of words for those who fail to be good. And there are many different ways one can fail to be good. So here in our Pasuk, we have Pitaim and we have a Na'ar. So Pitaim, uh, Rashi says, are people who are lacking in Orma. They just lack the guile. They like the wisdom to know the proper way to live. But Na'ar is somebody who, others will see it as young. Rashi doesn't specifically say he's young, but he doesn't have any knowledge. He doesn't have any learning. So he's going to give Da'at some kind of knowledge, umizima, and some kind of readiness to understand how to take proper learning and counsel to the Na'ar. So a petty has more than a Na'ar. He knows something, but he needs Orma. 
he needs the right way to approach life. So orma can sometimes be a negative. It can mean sort of uh, craftiness and the ability to know how to deceive people. Here clearly we don't mean that because Mishnah is saying when you give the Ptaim what they lack, which is Orma. So Orma will seem to be both, but what the definition of that will be will depend on how you're reading the book. For Rashi, it'll mean greater Torah learning and greater Torah knowledge. But even, so it's not just a primer for those who are lacking in knowledge or for those who are Pitaim. Mishle is claiming, Shlomo Melech is claiming. This is always something I think about. At what stage do people come to understand they don't need to listen to other people anymore, right? Yeah, you know, if some great rabbi comes to town, do you make sure you go to hear his shirim or do you say, well, I already know a lot of Torah. I don't need to go to hear those shirim. I wonder about that often. Yeah, you know, I myself sometimes when somebody's getting up to speak, I'll have other learning that I want to do on my own, and I'll leave. Sometimes I'll feel the need to stay. So that whole question of who you need to listen to or not. So Shlomo HaMelech at least, and obviously he's in a different class than even the greatest people we have today. But uh, the question is still a question. Even the Chacham can learn my book and find new ideas and new things that he didn't know. He'll add to his Chochmah. And a Navon, so a Navon is already at a higher level. A Navon is a person who already knows how to not only take what, who knows how to take what he's learned and add to that productively and correctly and accurately to come to new inferences and to understand further than what has been given to him. That whole model of that we believe in the need of Chochma Ubina shows that we believe in two things and many disciplines don't believe in one but not the other. So some people, some academics, some people out there in the world, some sophisticated people will very much believe in the need to advance knowledge, to make new inferences. But they won't see any necessarily value in building up a, a foundation of knowledge. And then some people talk about building up a foundation of knowledge, but then once you know a lot of stuff, won't necessarily see the value of the need to push knowledge further. So Mishle is saying, and there are many academics, I don't want to, there are many those of sophistication and academics who will see that as well. So for example, in most PhD programs, you have to pass a series of exams that show that you have built up the knowledge of what came in the past, and then you have to finish a thesis dissertation that shows that you know how to productively contribute to the field and you're talking about saying so you're proving you that you are in that field, both a Chacham and a Navon. So here, Shlomo Melech is saying that the book of Mishle is a book which both a Chacham and a Navon can gain from. The Chacham can get even more knowledge, and the Navon not only can get more knowledge, but he can get Tachbulot. He can get new ways to come to new inferences, new expansion of the ways that you find out things. Lahavin, Mashal, to understand, this will help you understand, this book will help you understand that there are uh, two areas, this is Rashi talking, I'm not quoting him, I'm just summarizing what he says, there are two aspects to this book that you have to figure out. The mashal is valuable, so it is true, Rashi says, this is Rashi is one of the ones who says it, it is true that when I talk to you, when Mishle talks to you about avoiding nashim zanot, bad women, women who misuse their sexuality. That's true. That's appropriate. When I talk to you about, or we'll see in the first chapter, avoiding hanging out with robbers and thieves and murderers, it is true that it means that. But it means one that as well. So you have to believe, understand not only the melitza, the way it's expressed in the book, you have to understand the mashal, what it's referring to um, at its deeper and most important sense. And that's the challenge of the book because it's very difficult to be sure that you are on the right track in studying those things, it's like I point out sometimes in another context about the Rambam, where the Rambam also writes that he writes things in code, and only those who are ready for his real insights will understand them. And that may or may not be true, but it's led to a situation that throughout history, in the time since the Rambam, almost everybody who studies the Rambam is sure they know what the Rambam meant, except that their ideas and understandings are extremely different from each other. Some see the Rambam as a really traditional 
what we would call today a traditional Orthodox Jew, Tamudic, Halachic Jew. Some say the Ramam, all the way at the other end, there's an extreme radical philosopher who managed to hide all of his philosophy and all of his disdain for ordinary, or not disdain, but all of his strayings from ordinary Orthodox Judaism in his philosophy books, and then there are people in the middle, and they all have this long-standing battle. So that's part of the problem with code books. You want to give the wisdom in a way that people can acquire it, so that would be a reason to give it metaphor. Everybody can understand the negative value in, in prostitutes, although in our time we see people, many people patronizing them and apparently having rejected even that basic knowledge. But the idea would be, if I can, Rashi's idea would seem to be, because Rashi says he says it is about all the things. Rashi's idea would seem to be that Shlomo HaMelech understood his wisdom to be so deep that it needs to be expressed in this way, and then you can move from the simple meaning to getting to the deeper meaning, and maybe in the fact that it's expressed in that way, the parallel will draw you to meaning. Meaning, if I just tell you it's wrong to go to be Christianity, you're not sure why. At least in Rashi's time, you're not sure why, because Judaism, Jews believe this, and Christians believe this. But if I say to you, and if you trust Shlomo Melech, if Shlomo Melech says to you, and you believe him, that it's really very similar to how any Shazah now works in terms of their claims about God. I'm not talking about Christianity specifically, I'm talking about false religions and idolatrous religions. If I say to you it's really like prostitution, you're just not ready to understand that yet, that might have a more take more root in your in your heart. You'll say, Oh, in the same way that I can imagine somebody not understanding the negatives of prostitution or the negatives of marijuana use or the negatives of whatever you may choose to put in there, so too you might not immediately understand the negatives of these other religions, but we should trust Shlomo Hamelech that they're there and that's part of the way the book is going to work. And also the words of the sages and the way they also express themselves sometimes in oblique ways to teach us um, to teach us how to how to properly act and properly behave. So Rashi thinks is also that they are doshe rishimot mikra malei v'chaser remez dimyon They find all sorts of extra inferences out of the Torah by the virtue of the lack of a letter or an extra letter, and all of that is also included in the kind of wisdom that Shlomo Hamelach is supposed to helping us understand the need and the value in seeing. So those are the first six psukim. That's Rashi's introduction. Rashi is a fairly minimal, fairly minimal list in terms of interpretations of Mishlei. Um, but but his central focus is the study of Torah in all of its depth and all of its senses is what will uh, fuel uh, is is the wisdom that Shlomo Melech is trying to get us to understand and the value and the importance of focusing on that and not allowing ourselves to be drawn in by other things that seem to be wisdom, other things that seem to be attractive and interesting and valuable. Pasuk Zayin Yirat Hashem Rishidat. So the first step, right? Rashi says, Until now, Shlomo HaMelech was explaining why he made the book. Now we're starting. So Yirat Hashem, the fear of God. That's the first step uh, of knowledge, of acquiring knowledge. Why is it the first step of acquiring knowledge? Because... Uh, if you have the fear of God and you know that you're doing it to, in order to get closer to God and to be properly in awe of God, Rashi says, that will then spur you to want to learn more. So for Rashi, Yirat Hashem Rishidat is the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge because that is what will set you up to be interested in it. Whereas some people might be intellectually interested, some people might not. If you're doing it out of a fear of God, 
you will have that spurring you to do it. Other commentators will say other things. I will not say that all throughout Mishle. I just want to point out, I want to make sure that we understand that I'm going to, in each chapter, be listening to a particular commentator. Since we only have four and there are uh, 31 chapters of Mishle, we'll see these four uh, seven times each, maybe maybe an eighth time for some of them. So over time, we'll get to know each of them for themselves. And I am spending the book, by and large, trying to listen to them. And that's part of the point of a book like Mishle, is to recognize whatever level of knowledge and wisdom you're at, this is a book where by listening to what it's telling you and listening to other wise people who have gone beforehand, we can increase our own wisdom. So I will be attempting, and I can't swear that I will manage to stick to this, but I will be attempting to listen to others rather than to be saying anything on my own. So that's Rashi's version of Yad Hashem Rashidat. And then, Chochma Musar Evilim Baza. So Evilim are another type of evildoer. We've already seen Pitaim, Pitaim, who are lacking in knowledge, and Na'arim, who are also lacking even more so in knowledge. So if those situations were to continue, they would necessarily end up doing evil, because wisdom is not intuitive. But Evilim are even worse than that. So Evilim were people who reject Chochma Musar, and they denigrate it. They don't want to... They don't want to learn it. They don't want to hear it. It's not that they're not educated. They have actively rejected it. And that's part of what Yerat Hashem will help one avoid becoming an Evil. Listen to the Musar of your father. Rashi thinks your father is what Hashem gave to Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah itself, Bechtav and Be'alpet. And then for Imecha, Rashi says, Umatcha, your nation, Knesset Yisrael, the Jewish people, and then he has a pasuk in Yecheskel that uses that terminology as well. And the Rashi says it is the words of the rabbis who added to and added on boundaries and fences around the Torah to make sure that we observe the Torah properly and appropriately. If you want to see Rashi in a Christian context, meaning that he's battling Christians and he's worried about Christians, it is true that part of the polemic that the Christians brought towards the Jews of their time was an attack on uh, the Talmudic aspect of it. Uh, later on, it became even more prominent. But the idea that the Torah says this, why are you following anything other than what the Torah itself says? And so part of what the answer always is, and this, is a gener- this happens every generation, is, well, Chazal say that we're supposed to do it this way. So that is what Rashi's understanding, to mean. It means the entirety of Torah, not just what given in Harsinai, but what the Mesorah has added onto it as a Durabon and as rabbinic principles, and to keep to that as well. Keep and observe the entirety of Torah as your tradition has passed, as your nation has passed down to you. Because they are necklaces around, uh, I'm sorry, they are like garlands to your head and necklaces to your neck. They're decorations. They're decorative. They make you more beautiful. They make you prettier. So in this end part of the chapter, there are another 20-something psukim, but Rashi is extremely minimalist, so I might add in a few points here and there of my own. I will not generally do that, but when we come to Rashi, it can become a challenge just to read it, so I want to make some of the points clearer than they might otherwise be. So Rashi is saying, Torah is going to be this decoration to you. Now we get to a new topic. So on the Pesachetet, we've had the introduction. Then we've had a couple of psukim saying the first step is Yirat Hashem, is fear of God, and uh, acquiring Torah. Now the next few psukim are going to be talking about avoiding the lures of improper friends and, and compatriots. So the psukim say, Bini, im yifatucha chataim al If chataim, and Rashi points out, chataim here means chotaim. The word chataim often means sin, but if there's a dagesha, there's a dot in the tet, 
Then it refers to the sin, to the sinners rather than the sins. Don't be led by them. Don't be. Don't join them. Don't want to join them. Don't be uh, enticed by them. They say to you, let's go and spill blood and we'll make an ambush on innocent people for no good reason. We'll swallow them up like Sheol, like the underworld, alive. And whole as if they've been swallowed up by a pit, the whole uh, body. Why are we going to do this in this metaphor? Remember, it's Mishle. So taking things only at their face value will always be a problem. We're going to find much uh, much uh, loot, much booty. Uh, it's all going to be valuable. We're going to fill up our houses with this kind of, uh, of plunder. And if you join us, they're going to say to him in their attempt to lure him to join them, you're going to split with us, we're going to make a partnership maybe, we're going to have it all together. So now Mishle steps in, don't go and join them. And then don't, not only don't go them, but keep your legs away from their paths as a whole. Literally means because their legs are running to do evil. Rashi says, means for their own evil. Not that they're running to do evil. They're doing evil to themselves and they don't even realize, they don't even pay attention to the fact that they're really damaging themselves. They're going to run to spill blood. And it might be that it's their own blood that's the problem. Because they think that, Rashi points out, it's like one of the ways they used to catch birds in Rashi's time apparently is you'd lay out a net and you'd lay down bird feed on the net of various sorts. So the birds, being birds, see the feed and they say, oh, feed, and they go down to feed and then you can close the net on them and that's where you can capture a bird without having to kill it or shoot it down. So that imp- that um, experience of seeing the net and not paying attention to the consequences of it, thinking, oh, that's a net spread out, so what, it has no value? That's what's being said here. Every bird, every bird sees the net and thinks it's laid out for nothing. What you're really doing when you lay those ambushes is you're really hunting your own uh, blood. I'm sorry, Rashi thinks is that there are, but there are hunters behind those nets who are waiting to capture those birds. So too, with anybody who does wrong financially, who steals things, they think that they're getting it for themselves, but really they're taking their own souls, that's why Rashi reads it, they're taking their own souls in the end, they're going to destroy their own souls. That's up until Pasuk Chaf. So I would just point out extremely briefly that at the basic level of the way it's stated here, it seems to be a message that's unequivocal. There are very few people, I think there are very few people, certainly in Lomo Melech's time, even in our time, I think there are very few parents who have to worry that their son is going to, or their son or daughter is going to end up becoming an armed robber or a, or, or a fence for people who do armed robbery. So the basic level, while it's absolutely true, certainly if somebody says to you, come, let's ambush people and kill them, even though they've done nothing to us just so that we can rob them, it's certainly true that we'd want our children to avoid that. Where it becomes more challenging to think about, and Rashi is a minimalist, so he's not saying any of this, and I'm not giving, I'm not, I'm only going to try, I'm trying, I'm going to try to give only unequivocal examples, but where it gets more challenging to think about is, um, is when you want to apply that to other things. 
what kinds of groups of people will say to you, come, let's go do something, and they're actually, and they think it's just fun, and they think they're going to gain and benefit from it, but they're actually leading you down a path of self-destruction. So an easy example is, you know, if somebody has some friends who say, hey, let's go do some cocaine, so that's the kind of a path that we see to ourselves. It seems like it's fun. It seems like there's no consequences. Or at least to them, it seems like there's no consequences. But we know that it's the path of self-destruction. Similar is, let's suppose somebody says, uh, let's go start smoking a couple of packs of cigarettes a day. So again, it doesn't seem like it's hurting anybody. It doesn't seem like it's a problem. But it's an extreme health risk. So I'm choosing those examples because those are well accepted in society. Well, things like, and I gave a shear on this once recently, and somebody said, well, what about a society of Lush and Hara? That's a very important point. Let's say I'm a person who doesn't intend to speak Lashon HaRa, doesn't spend, intend to slander other people, but I join people around a table who repeatedly come up with issues of slandering and libeling and gossiping. So, And they say, come join us, we'll sit and we'll hang out together. So again, you'll say they're not getting any monetary profit, but that's just what the Malitza was telling us. But in the emphasis, it's saying what kinds of people you choose, and they're going to lead you, and you have to avoid those kinds of stuff. So what you should be avoiding or not, how you choose friends, how we choose the people we socialize with and are involved with in business as well, that's all a very big question. So enough on that, but I think you can carry that out to many things. What kind of hedge fund do you join when you're working or whatever kind of a job you're working? What kind of a law firm are you at? Uh, just to start on the good side, my father, Allah Shalom, for several years worked at Freed Frank, and I remember he once told me proudly when he was an associate at Freed Frank that a partner had been asked by a client some legal question, and the partner said whatever their firm had come to decide was the law, Colin said, oh, maybe I'll do this anyway. And the partner said, well, then maybe you need to find another law firm. So that's the kind of a firm where, and I'm not saying Free Frank is like this now. I'm not promoting Free Frank. I'm just saying that's what happened in my father's life. This is 25 years ago. So um, so that's the kind of a society where it's promoting you do acting better. But there are certainly people who are placed in the difficult position of being in a firm or a company or a group where they're falsifying things for investors because they're worried about whatever it is and then the question is how do you go along with it or not go along with it and do you leave or not leave so that's what Mishle is talking about here in this first part the second part is related but not the exact same thing so in Pasuk Kaf Mishle something to get used to is that Mishle within a chapter you'll have several different topics come up abruptly without any transition from one to the other so Pasuk Kaf Chachmot Bachutz Tarona Barachavot Titen Kola Wisdom Cries out in the streets, raises her voices in the square. Perosh homiotikra at the head of the busy street, she calls. Befikeshi arim ba'ir amareha tomer at the entrance of the gates in the city. She says what she has to say. So Rashi doesn't help us out here. Uh, I'm sorry, exactly the opposite. Rashi here. Note, remember that we have spoken about the fact that Rashi thinks chachma is wisdom, meaning Torah. If wisdom, ordinary wisdom, you could easily imagine what he is talking saying in a fairly simple sense. That if you just walk around in life, you just pay attention to the way life works, you get wisdom. That would be if you see wisdom as intuitive. Very few of our commentators are going to see it that way. Rashi, in particular, since he thinks he identifies Chochmah, wisdom, with Torah, so he says, the Chochmah of Torah, what does that mean? In Bachutz Taron, outside. So he says, it's telling you outside to warn you to avoid those others and then if you go to where it is being learned meaning the Batemi Drash if you're going to the place where they darshan it so that's Rechovot Rechovot is not outside in the streets because you don't generally find Shirim of Torah in the streets so why does it say by Rechovot in the Rechovot so he quotes a Tanchuma that says that Rechovot means the places where they expand upon Torah remember that even for Rashi 
Torah is not a static corpus. There is a static corpus you receive, and then the highest level is that you learn how to properly and appropriately expand upon that corpus. So that would be a, what a rechovot, the place where they're expanding it. The Rosh Homiot for Rashi is Makom Nishma'at so that's where it's read, meaning the place where people learn and study. And Sharim is the place where the Zakinim, the elders, are sitting to study and learn. So for Rashi, it's striking that he takes, I'm going to try to avoid using that word so much, it is, it impacts on me that he takes words that seem to speak about the wisdom being out and available and in public, and because he sees wisdom as being Torah specifically, he needs to find a way to translate and interpret it about a much more narrower set of places, because Torah, in fact, is not out there everywhere. And especially if you think about Rashi's life, where when he was younger, he had to go from France to Germany to study Torah, because it wasn't available at the level he needed it in France. And he spent 10 years, I think, in poverty in Germany, studying and learning and scraping and struggling to get along. So then you see that these psukim are very interesting, because they go against his own experience and his his interpretation of them uh, based on his certainty that Chochmah means Torah uh, shows us in that direction. Until when, so the Petayim we've seen before, uh, the people don't have full orma, full wisdom, full guile in terms of how to live and how long are you going to love and enjoy uh, petty being like that. So, JPS says it, how long will you simple ones love simplicity? And so, a new level, a new type of evildoer. We've seen Evilim and Petayim and Ne'arim. Now, Leitzimah, those who just like to mock things. They're cynics. I don't know, I like being, I, I like cynics more than that. They, they reject, they just look down on things. They're just having too much fun laughing at things. They're scoffers. How are you going to enjoy that? And then, is another level of lack of uh, of wisdom and therefore eventually will be will be evildoers and they're the ones who hate that they don't want to learn it's not they haven't learned it's they they reject learning they don't want to learn so Evilim rejected Chochma or Musar they rejected discipline here these people are just rejecting knowledge even so return to my remonstration my Tochachat I will tell you what is in my spirit. I will let you know my words. And it's not happening. So we were talking about that Torah is frustrated that they don't listen, that uh, the Ptaim and the Ksilim are not going to listen to it. So she's trying to remonstrate with them. And I call and you refuse to listen. I wave my hands and you don't uh, pay attention. Turn aside all of my counsel. You don't want to hear my remonstrations. I will therefore laugh when your time of misfortune or trouble comes, your calamities. I will mock you when your fears come true. This is a hard pasuk. I don't have so much time. We've run out of time for the day, really. But it's a hard pasuk. I grant that it's a hard pasuk, but I think it means... I think it means that, um, and we'll see this in the rest of the parak. So let me read the rest of the parak, and then you'll understand better what I'm trying to say. When it comes suddenly, like a storm, that which you feared, like a storm will come to you. When times of trouble and distress um, come, come upon you. 
as you'll call out to me and I won't answer you. They'll seek me and not find me. Because they sought knowledge and they because they hated knowledge and they didn't choose the fear of God. They didn't want my counsel. They rejected all of my remonstrations. They'll have to bear the fruits of their ways and they're going to have to be seated by their own ideas of what was the right thing to do, because the uh, undisciplined nature of the Pitaim, of those who, uh, I'm sorry, Meshuvat Pitaim probably means like JPS has it, the tranquility, their, their comfort, they're fine, everything's fine, they have food, they have health, they have this, they have that, they're fine. That will eventually kill them. Meshavat Kesilim, and the, and the, and the placidity of the Kesilim, of the fools, or of the dullards, is what they have, meaning they haven't learned, they refuse to learn, that will destroy them. So the idea being that we like to think of a world where you just live, just be a nice person, just be fine, you don't have to study, you don't have to work hard. And Mishnah is trying to say it's not true. And the fact that people think they can just live, and I live in many Jewish communities, I watch many Jewish communities where the average simple person, the Pashtadiyid we might call them, sort of lives and they don't bother to study, they don't bother to learn, they don't bother to turn to their, let's say they're not the smartest person in the world, but they don't bother to turn to their leaders and say, what should I be doing different in my life? How do they figure I live? I have my kids, I pay my taxes, I pay my bills, I go to Shalom Shabbos, I, maybe I go to Minyan during the week, I'm fine. Or, or they just choose their own form of learning, or I'll learn this because I think that I know that. So that whole idea that you don't pay attention to wisdom is part of what Mishle is pointing out here, and the stakes are very high. Because it's not true that as long as you're not a bad person, you're a good person. Rabbi says that explicitly in this parak, but we're not Rabbi land. But, but the point that Mishlei is making is, and this is where the laughter, I think, comes from. Because when people reject the truth and they say, no, I can do what I want. So when they bear the consequences of having rejected the truth, there's some value in that. And that's what the laughter is. I don't think it's the laughter of, I'm going to enjoy it. It's the laughter of, perhaps from here, I think it's the laughter of, perhaps from here, we can build to something new and to something better because these people, so it's similar too, why, why is it they can't find them at that point? They could find wisdom when they start looking, but that wisdom they find will never be able to change what they did in the past and to reverse the past. The example I always like to give is a person smokes cigarettes for 25 years, two packs a day, assumes it's not me, it'll never be me, and then all of a sudden gets lung cancer. I was actually giving a share, I gave this example, somebody said to me, it actually comes up all of a sudden when you get lung cancer. So the answer is if you're smoking two packs a day for 25 years, it's not all of a sudden, even if it feels sudden. And that is, I think, part of, and it's many, many other things, just that's the only one that's easily and unequivocal in our times. But the point is that it's not sudden, and you should have been aware of the consequences, and the fact that you weren't means you have to bear those consequences. That doesn't mean that person can't gain wisdom going to the future. It doesn't mean that we would be hoping that the lung cancer will do anything terrible to them. But it means that once they get the lung cancer, we can at least say, oh, see, again, the world knows. Once again, the world can learn the lesson that smoking kills you. And that will be true. Again, that's the simple version, like prostitution is bad. And then you have to find and understand the other versions where, too, there are forms of conduct that people take for granted as being simple. So there are Ksilim and Evilim and Ne'arim and Pitaim. There are all sorts of people, Leitzim, who will say, say to you, this is a fine way to behave. That's the challenge of the wisdom. Wisdom is not that which everybody says, oh, you should do this. If everybody says, oh, you should do this, it's not wisdom anymore. That's just what everybody understands. Wisdom are the things that the Chachamim go to look for. They go to, and the Nevonim are looking for. And they're out there teaching it to you. And if you pay attention and look for it, you'll find it. 
But you have to start with Yerat Hashem, you have to start with the fear of God, and you have to recognize not to be like Bixilim and the Pitaim who just go on their way and they say, I'm fine, everything's good, everything's fine. And then when the consequences of their actions become clear, which were not obvious, it's not the kind of evil that is obvious. So it's not armed robbery where we know that it's an evil thing to do. It's armed robbery because it's attractive and because it'll lead you to think you're going to have a good, comfortable life, but it actually has in it the seeds of your own destruction. And those are the kinds of things that Mishnah is trying to help us warn against. We have to seek wisdom. We have to look for wisdom. We have to find the right place to look for it. So if you go to a, a late or an avil to learn wisdom from them, you'll have a problem because that's not what Mishnah is talking about. So as we continue through the book, we're going to be trying to learn the many ways of wisdom that are out there so we can hopefully, each and every one of us, be in the ways of wisdom, in the ways of Yerat Hashem, of fear of God, and as the last Pasuk of Perak Aleph says, and be among those, God willing, if we are, if we merit it, those who listen to Shlomo Malach, and those who listen to Hashem, really, to Chachmah, will live comfortably and securely, and without any fear of misfortune. We can be among those who will as the JPS has it, dwell in safety, untroubled by the terror of misfortune. Have a great day.